Father, we do thank you for the wonderful encouragement to us that your word has. We thank you for verses like Romans 8.28, where we can know that in all things you're working for our good. And as we come to worship you this morning, we know that you are the one who has drawn us here, that you are the one who is working for good in us, even as we draw near to you. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us by your word this morning. We pray that as we listen to your word, as we listen to part of your word that is quite obscure to many of us, that it may be a great blessing to us. May it be for our good. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week we began a new series, uh, probably be a very short series in comparison to my other series, sermon series, and that is in the book of Ruth. We looked at Ruth chapter 1, and we looked at Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth and the situation that they were in. They started in some ways in pleasant circumstances. Naomi was, uh, she was married, she had a husband, she had two sons, but then through a series of hardships that came into her life, she was left without a husband, without her sons, and her daughters-in-law, one stuck with her, the other left her, and she comes back to the land of Israel as a single widow. She's a widow now, and she has this daughter-in-law who is a widow as well. And so in many ways, as they return to Israel, as they've been in Moab and they've come back to Israel, these two women, they're in a state of destitution. Now, they're destitute here in the land of Israel because they don't have a male provider for them, and so then they're dependent upon the social welfare of the community. And when you consider who Ruth is... She is a Moabitess. She's in a foreign country. And we still have racism today in our land and around the world. And it's not as though this is a new concept. It's a very old concept to be racist towards those around us who are not of our nation. And so we see here that Ruth has come back in a state of great suffering. There's great potential for suffering to come to her here. But as we come to the end of this chapter, things begin to look up. At the beginning of chapter 1, things were looking okay, uh, but then at the end of it, things are looking pretty bad. And Naomi is calling herself Mara. She's calling herself bitter rather than Naomi, which means pleasant. But by the end of chapter 2, things are looking better. Now, why do things look better for Ruth and Naomi after chapter 2 has happened? Well, we're going to look at those this morning, and I think there's four reasons that we can see in this text for Ruth's improved life, for the reason, four reasons why Ruth's life has improved. And the first reason that we can see in the text, and it's quite obvious, is that Ruth works hard. One of the reasons why her life improves is because she works hard. And we see this in verse 7, when one of the foremen is describing to Boaz, Ruth working in the field, she's gone out and she's working in the field, and he says in verse 7, she said, that's Ruth, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters, and then she went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Ruth is working hard. She starts in the morning, and she's worked all through the day with just a short rest in the shelter. And we see in verse 15, she stops for lunch. And then after lunch, does she go for a siesta? No. What do we read in verse 15? As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. She's had her lunch, 
and now she's going back to work. And then in verse 17, we see that she continues to work right to the evening. Verse 17, Ruth chapter 2, page 259, you should uh, hopefully be following along. Verse 17, it says, So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. And then after she's gleaned, evening falls, then what does she do? Does she just go home? No, then she threshed the barley that she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. And then we see that she continues doing this. It's not just a one-off thing that she does. One day she goes out and gleans. We read in verse 23 over the page in the Black Church Bibles, verse 23, we read, So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. She kept on going for at least two months for both the barley and the wheat harvest. There were separate uh, harvests that took place about a month apart. She continued to glean in these fields. So why has Ruth's life improved? Well, she's a hard worker. She goes out in the morning, she stays till evening, she takes a short rest, she gets up after lunch, she continues going, and she keeps going day after day. We also see that the improvement in her life comes through being respectful towards others. As she goes out to to reap, she speaks nicely to her mother-in-law and asks permission to go. We see the respect that she shows. Verse 2, Verse 2 of Ruth chapter 2, it says, And Ruth the Moabites said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. She's very respectful to her mother-in-law. Is it okay if I go out and glean? And then when she interacts with Boaz, we see that she's very respectful towards him as well. Uh, in uh, her interaction with the foreman, firstly, before she even speaks to Boaz, in verse 7, which I read before, the foreman's talking about Ruth, and he says, verse 7, she said, please let me glean and gather among the harvesters behind, uh, among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She's asked permission to glean in the field. And then when she speaks to Boaz, we see that she's very respectful to him. He speaks to her, and then, what does she say in verse 10? At this, after Boaz has spoken to her, it says she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me? A foreigner. She recognises that he should be particularly racist towards her. She's a foreigner. But he's shown favour to her and she's respectful. She bows to the ground, face to the ground, and shows him respect. And then in verse 13, she continues to talk to him. He interacts with her again. And then in verse 13, she says, may I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. She recognises her place, that she's not even like one of his servant girls. And yet she asks, please, may I continue to find favour? She's very respectful towards him. And this is the same for you. If your life is to improve, generally speaking, if you are hardworking and respectful to those around you, life will improve. The book of Proverbs speaks about this. It's not the only part of the Bible that speaks about it. But very clearly in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4, it says, Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. See what the Proverbs are teaching us? If you're lazy, 
things won't go particularly well for you. If you are hardworking, things, generally speaking, will go well for you. You at least have something to eat. The Bible often encourages this idea that if you work, then you can eat. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says to the Thessalonian church, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Hunger is a good driving force to eat. If you don't eat, well then generally you'll be forced to work. You will be driven to work. If you have a full belly, well then generally you're not so interested in working, which is why I said that Ruth may have been tempted to have a siesta after lunch. After lunch you've got a full belly, eh, things are going well for me right now, my body is satisfied, I'm not that interested in working this afternoon. But if you have an empty stomach, and it looks like you're going to have an empty stomach for a week or so, you'll be driven to work and to find food. But is Ruth's work ethic the only reason her life improves? No. We also see that Boaz is responsible for the improved life. Boaz, this wealthy landowner, he is responsible for Ruth's life improving. He tells Ruth to stay. He provides water for her. He provides protection for her. And we see this in verses 8 and 9. Look with me at Ruth chapter 2, verse 8. It says, So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Stay here, glean here, but also I've given you protection. Stay with the men, stay with the servant girls. Everything will go okay, and also Feel free to take part in the water here. We don't think much of water supplies because we just turn on a tap and it's there. This time, this age for these people, water was very valuable. And she would have to go and get her own water. And here she doesn't have to waste time doing that. Instead, she can take from the water that is supplied for the men by Boaz. And so he provides for her in this way and then he provides even more food for her, not just the harvesting that she can do, the gleaning that she can do. Uh, He even provides her with some lunch. We see in verse 14, it says, At mealtime, Boaz said to her, to Ruth, Come here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. He's providing more food for her there. And he provides so much that she's actually got some leftovers that she gives to Naomi later. She's able to take a doggy bag home to Naomi. She's gotten so much food from Boaz. And he also provides for her in spiritual element as well. It's marvellous. He offers this little prayer in verse 12 for Ruth. He provides food for her, physical protection, but then spiritual protection. In verse 12 it says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Small little prayer that Boaz prays for Ruth here. And so he's providing for her. So why has Ruth's life improved? Well, she's worked hard, but someone has been very kind to her. Someone's shown compassion to her and provided for her. And this is the same for you today as well. Generally speaking, your life will improve if people around you are good to you, if they have compassion on you and provide for you. And we as Christians should not only work hard, but we should also be looking to help others provide for them as well as provide for ourselves. 
Christians should be known by their kindness. We should be like Boaz here and have an eye for those who need help. And sometimes we should do it in such a way as not even to embarrass the person. It's very interesting how Boaz provides for Ruth in one respect here. He, he says, glean in my fields, and then he gives her some of the, his lunch. And then we see uh, that he, he says to his, his workmen that they should uh, allow her to get some extra pieces of grain, uh, pieces of barley, from them himself, uh, from the, the workmen themselves. Look with me at verse 15, verse 15 of Ruth chapter 2. He sa- it says, As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to her men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. He's showing kindness to her in a roundabout fashion so that she's not embarrassed. And sometimes we as Christians, that's the way we have to operate where people don't even know where the blessing is coming from. We're oblivious to the fact that someone is actually providing for us. We as Christians should be kind and compassionate to those around us. And if you're not a Christian and people haven't been kind and compassionate to you, if, if, you're, if you don't think of Christians as being particularly kind people, I'm sorry. That shouldn't be the way that Christians operate around you. We should be known for our kindness, our compassion, and that we actually improve the lives of those around us by our actions. So, Ruth's life, it's improved. Why? She's worked hard. Second reason, Boaz is very nice to her. Third reason, Naomi is also responsible for the improved life. Naomi plays a part in this. She's at the beginning and the end, and she has an impact upon Ruth's life by her advice. She actually gives advice to Ruth as to what she should do. When Ruth says, I want to go and gather, uh, Naomi says in halfway through verse 2, the the second paragraph there in verse 2, it says, Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. She allows her to go out. She encourages her to do so. And then we see that she encourages Ruth to continue going out and gleaning. Verse 22, we read, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field you might be harmed. She encourages Ruth to stay in that field. Why? Because she actually has inside knowledge about Boaz. She knows who Boaz is, and she's using that inside knowledge to help Ruth and then ultimately help herself. Uh, We see in verse 20 that she knows who Boaz is. Ruth comes back and says, The man I worked with today is Boaz. And then in verse 20, we read, The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. She has inside knowledge about Boaz, and she uses it to encourage Ruth to continue staying in that field so that their needs are met. And this is the same for us as well. If our lives are to improve, we need the advice of those around us. You need people who have insider knowledge about things to encourage you, to help you, to guide you. And we as Christians should be willing to give advice and also to receive advice from those who are older and wiser, who have been through trials that we may be going through. We should be willing to listen to them, not thinking, I know everything, I don't need any advice. Now here we see Ruth listening to the advice of her mother-in-law and her life improves as a result of listening to such advice. 
So have we exhausted the reasons why Ruth's life has suddenly improved? At the end of chapter 1, things were looking pretty bad. End of chapter 2, she's reaping and benefiting from her labours, from the generosity of Boaz and from the good advice of her mother-in-law. Is there any other reason why Ruth's life has improved? Well, there is, and it's a very big reason why her life has improved. God is responsible for the improved life. God is responsible for Ruth and Naomi suddenly having provision as they live in this land. Theologians like to call this providence, God's providence that he provides for his people. And see, God is responsible for all the improvements that happen in Ruth's life and Naomi's life in this passage. I mean, firstly, God provided a law that allowed people like Ruth to actually go and gather in somebody else's field. If you owned an orchard today, nice apple orchard, let's say, would you be willing for anyone who is unemployed to come in and to take some of the apples there to eat? Or would you be saying, no, the fence line's there, and if you take one apple, it's theft, and... I'll be making sure I call the police on you. That would generally be our attitude, or at least it'd be mine. If I work hard, planting a little orchard, I'm going to be saying who gets the apples. That wasn't the case in Israel. Israel was to follow the laws of God, and God had actually specified that the poor, the destitute, could come in and glean as Ruth did, so that Ruth could be bold, so bold as to enter somebody else's field and actually start to pick up food in that field. Look with me at Leviticus chapter nine, uh, 19, Leviticus chapter 19, which is found on page one, uh, 116 of the Black Church Bibles. Turn with me now, Leviticus 19, verse 9. Page 116 of the Black Church Bibles. Leviticus 19 has a lot of different laws. I love the NIV's title at the beginning of the chapter, Various Laws. Um, So there's a whole bundle of different laws here. And we see in verse 9, what do we read? When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. What are you to do if you own an orchard, a vineyard, a field of wheat or barley? You are to go through and harvest, but what you miss the first time through, you're meant to leave. Who are you meant to leave it for? Those who are poor. And even the alien. And we think the word alien today is little green men. You leave it for the aliens to come down in their spaceship and get the the gleanings. But no, that word just used to mean a foreigner. Someone who is not of your land. Now, what is Naomi uh, and Ruth? Naomi is poor. What is Ruth? She's poor too, but she's also an alien. She's a foreigner in the land. Why can she go into that field of Boaz and expect to be able to be there and gather? Because God has provided a law so that she can go in. God is the one who has improved Ruth's life, even just by providing this law so that she can go in and gather. But then we see God's hand, his fingerprints all over the rest of the passage as well. 
It's amazing, God's providence here. At just the right moment, things click into place so that Ruth's life improves. Ruth just happens to end up in a field that belongs to a relative of high standing. We see that Boaz is a man of great standing in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And she's got this relative. And then what happens? Ruth goes out into the field. Naomi doesn't tell her where to go. But what do we read in verse 3? So she went out, that's Ruth, and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. God led her to that field. She wasn't aiming to go for that field. It just happens that she is there in that field that belongs to a relative. And then while she's there, what happens? Well, it just happens that Boaz actually shows up when she is there. Verse 4 says that. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. Just then. That word in Hebrew, it's often used for exclamation, something surprising happening to introduce. It can be translated in a lot of different ways. Uh, the King James often translates it as behold. Behold, something happens. And it just happens that while Ruth is there, Boaz suddenly appears. And while he's there, he just happens to notice Ruth. Who is that woman over there? Imagine there would be a lot of people there at that field, and he's just like, oh, actually, and you don't know what other poor people were there gathering behind the harvesters. He just happens to say, and, and who is that person over there to one of his foremen? And he just happens to be a godly man. He just happens to notice Ruth, and he just happens to be a godly man. And we see that his godliness is spoken of in the text by the way that he comes and greets his harvesters. In verse 4, we see that he says to them, The Lord be with you, and his harvesters cry out in return, The Lord bless you. He just happens to be a nice guy. He could have been a relative, but a pretty nasty relative. He just happens to be this lovely man who just happens to be there at the right time that Ruth is there, and he just happens to notice her. And he just happens to have heard about Ruth prior to actually seeing Ruth. What do we read uh, when he speaks to Ruth in verse 11? Boaz replies to her, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. And then he prays that prayer that we looked at before in verse 12. He just happens to know about Ruth's background and what she's done. How many times do you do things that are actually very nice, but people don't actually know about them? That's when you're tempted to tell people all the good things that you've done. But here, Ruth hasn't told him what she's done for her mother-in-law. He just happens to know this. Why is that? It's Because God's hand is at work. He just happens to bring Ruth into that field. He just happens to bring Boaz to that field. He just happens to make Boaz take notice of Ruth. And he just happens to let Boaz know what Ruth has done. God's fingerprints are all over this passage. He is behind it all. And Naomi even recognises this in one level. In verse 19 and 20, we see that she starts to recognise the Lord's blessing to her. We looked at that last week, how she sees all the bad but doesn't seem to recognise the blessing. But here she finally starts to recognise the Lord's hand. Verse 19, 
Her mother-in-law, that's Naomi, asked her, that's Ruth, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She invokes a blessing from God upon the man that has been so good to Ruth. And then Ruth explains where she's been. And what does Naomi say in verse 20? The Lord bless him. She is noticing the Lord's hand in all of this. That the Lord is providing for her through Boaz. And we should be the same. You too should acknowledge that God is behind all the blessing in your life. For example, God just happens to place you in the family that you were born in, in the country that you were born in. He just happens to lead you into the workplace where you work. He just happens to bring people into your life at just the right moment where they can provide for you and look after you. God's hand is all over your life. You must understand that if there is anything good in your life, it is ultimately because of God. Reflect on your life now. Is it better than it once was? Is your life better today than it was in the past? If yes, why is that? Why is your life improved from, let's say, five years ago or ten years ago? Or 20 years ago, why is your life better today than it once was? Have you worked hard? If you've worked hard, good. Your life has improved because of your hard work. Have others been kind to you? Have others advised you at just the right moment so that your life would improve? If that is yes, well, isn't that nice that you've had people around you to advise you? You've worked hard and people have been there to provide for you. But do you attribute your improvement in life ultimately to God? Do you thank God every day that your life is better now than it once was? When you boast about your life, what do you boast about that has brought you to your current circumstances? Do you boast about your work that I've worked very hard? Do you boast about the people who have been so good to you? Or do you boast about God and say that I am what I am today because God has been good to me? Yes, I've worked hard. Yes, people have been very good to me. But I know that behind it all, behind that drive to work, behind the ability to work, it's all been God. And behind those people that have been brought into my life, they have been brought into my life. It is not as though it is all of them that the goodness has come to me. It is because God has brought them to me. I reflect on my own life, and I can see this as well. I'm now coming into my ninth year here at Des Moines Baptist, and my life, I must admit, is better than it was when I first arrived. My life has improved over this time, and even as I look over back before I came to Des Moines Baptist, my life has improved. I'm married to a lovely wife, I have two great kids who weren't here when I first started at Moines. Joshua was born five months into my pastorate here. And Philippa came a bit late after that. And I have more pastoral experience now. After eight years of service here at Moines Baptist, I go into meetings with less need for preparation than I did, less nervousness than I once had. I have 
Lots of different Bible verses that are now in my head, ready to be applied at different points. Now, why is my life better? It's not as though some of these things come very easily. I've been married to Jill for 11 years now. That's a pretty lengthy term in Australian culture. It wasn't in the past, but 11 years of marriage? I've seen some of my friends divorced in my time, within 11 years. It's not as though that's easy. And being a pastor of a church for eight years and a bit, that's not necessarily easy either. I've seen pastors come and go in my time that I've been here at Dremoyne, in other churches. And if I get to the end of nine years, I'll be the longest-serving pastor at Dremoyne Baptist ever. Has it been easy for me to have my life improve so much? Well, in one sense, no. So why am I what I am today? Why is my life better than it once was? Why am I still here after eight years? Well, like Ruth, I believe I've worked very hard. And I'm sure if you ask some of the members who've been here for some time, they will be able to tell you that I do try, I work hard. If you ask my wife, she'll be able to tell you that I work hard morning to night, like Ruth out in the field. And I also recognise that I am what I am today because godly members have been very kind to me. You provided for me materially. You provided for me spiritually. Pray for me. I'm very conscious of the people of God here at Des Moines Baptist praying for me, just like Boaz prayed for Ruth there. I'm very conscious of the fact that you are very patient with me here at Des Moines Baptist, that the reason I'm here after eight years is because you've forgiven me as I've made mistakes. You've been very good to me. And so I am what I am today because of the goodness of the members of Des Moines Baptist. I also recognise that I am what I am today because of the advice that people give me. Just like Naomi gave advice to Ruth and she took it and her life improved as a result, I recognise that lots of people have given me advice who aren't part of this church. I can be in written form. I read a lot of books by a lot of pastors who have gone before and I listen to what they have to say and I put those things into practice. And I also talk to other pastors, retired pastors, pastors who are current, Listen to what they have to say about the ministry. And so why has my life improved? Oh, it's because I've been listening to advice, because people have been giving me counsel and I've been taking it on board. But ultimately, I am what I am today because of God's grace. Yes, I've worked hard over the last eight years. Yes, you have been very kind to me over the last eight years. And yes, other people outside the church have been very supportive of me in my ministry. But I know that it is all by God's grace that I am still here after eight years and that my life has improved, that God brought Jill into my life, that God brought Joshua and Philippa, my children, into my life, that God has continued to sustain me in ministry. And it's good to reflect on that. As I look at a passage like this, and it is good to reflect on that in your own life, if your life has improved, that it is because of God's grace. I was very much conscious of this even in the last week. Wednesday night, a very dark cloud descended upon my life. Now, I don't know why that necessarily is. I've got a few ideas. Jill says any time before I sort of start to go on leave, I start to get a little depressed. 
as you look forward to the time off, and I'm, I've got one more week before I go on leave for three weeks. And so it seems harder work when you've got the holiday looming. And there were some circumstances which came upon me and different things with pastoral ministry. And, and the next morning I woke up and the dark cloud hadn't gone. And I was feeling very down. I was feeling like I didn't want to be at work that day and to do the work that God had given me. And I think God was just pulling back. Well, there are many reasons why he may have done it. But I think on one level, he was just pulling back for me to see how much I need his grace in my life. How much I need him to sustain me in ministry. I was seeing what it is to do ministry by my own strength, by my own hard work without as much grace from God. And as some godly people prayed for me, by about 11 o'clock, things were looking better. I was wondering whether God was just giving me a sermon illustration for Sunday as well, to remind me and to remind you that at any moment God can hold back a bit of grace and reveal how destitute your life would be if you didn't have God's hand in your life. Because sadly, our attitude often is that we think we are what we are because of our work. We don't even acknowledge those around us. I was once at a family gathering, and someone gave grace before the meal, and they said, thank you, God, for the food we cooked that we bought with money that we worked for. What were they thanking God for? They were saying, it's all me that brought this food to the table. It's got really nothing to you, and I'm just giving you a token wave as I say grace. It's a terrible attitude. This person's not thinking about every breath that they took with the body that God gave them that they then used to work to make the money to go to the shop to buy the food that they then prepared and put on the table. They just don't recognise that God is behind all of that. It's easy to forget that behind all the good that we have is God. And it's all through Jesus Christ. It's all by his work at the cross that we can be what we are today. And we've got to work at reminding ourselves of this fact. It's so easy to forget God's providence behind the good in our life. And maybe at morning tea today, if you struggle to remember God's providence, ask someone here, how do you remember that God is behind the good things in your life? And see what they say. And if you are a member, be ready for someone to actually ask that question. How do you remember God's goodness to you? Now that's those whose life has improved. Now, I understand that some people's lives here may not have improved, that they may feel that their life is worse today than it once was. And so I briefly want to talk to you now. I want to ask you, is your life what it is today? Is it worse than it once was? Because you don't do hard work. You're not like Ruth. You don't rise in the morning. You don't work through the day. You're not there till the evening. We have to remember that this is God's means of improving our life often, is that he brings that desire to work into our lives and that we should work to improve our lives? Or is it that you don't accept the generosity of others? You don't want to be a charity case and so you're not willing for others to give you good things and you're not willing to listen to advice from others. You're not willing to hear their counsel. Is that why your life hasn't improved? Or could it be ultimately that the reason your life isn't better today than it once was is because you don't look to God. 
You don't look to him for his grace. You don't think that there is a God. Or if there is a God that he has no power in your life, he can't change anything. And so you don't look to him for strength. If that is you, I encourage you, look to God today. Look to him. Repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus Christ and go to God through Christ and ask for his blessing upon your life. Because if God doesn't want to bless your life, nothing good will happen. And if that is the way you've been living in the past, then it's not surprising your life is not better than it once was. We as Christians should work hard, be kind and accept kindness from others and advice. We must recognise the grace of God in our lives. And if you're not doing that, well, you shouldn't be surprised if your life does not improve. Let's come before our God in prayer. Let's speak to him now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this part of your word which reminds us of your divine fingerprints all over our lives, that as we receive blessing, as our life improves, that behind the people that improve our life, it's you. Lord, we pray that we would always recognise this grace. We would work hard, we'd involve people in our lives, but first and foremost we'd go to you and we'd give you praise for the work that you do, the grace that you extend. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.